Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hey, we're wrapping up our series that we've been in uh, with Andy called The Day After Christmas. So for me in the room, anybody joining online, uh, so pumped to be concluding this conversation with you around the birth of Jesus and who he really was. Uh, A lot of you guys know this. Some of you may not. If it's your first time, my wife is literally, I don't know, hours, days, kind of a miracle. I'm here today uh, from giving birth to our third child. And so that's kind of the world we're living in at the moment. The Christmas story is very real to us. Um, (laughs) And so uh, we're, we're in that. And, 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 you know, a lot of people have a lot of questions whenever, you know, you hear that, that somebody is pregnant or someone's having a kid. And the questions before the birth of the kid make a lot of sense to me, you know, like ones that we get all the time. Oh, when's the due date? Or what are you having? Like, are you having a boy or a girl? Um, we don't know if we're having a boy or a girl. We're going to be surprised on this one. Uh, we didn't do that with our first two. And I had a friend of mine say, hey, um, the surprises as you get older aren't as fun, so soak up the good ones while you can. So I thought that was pretty, pretty good advice. Um, but th- th- all those questions that kind of come before the birth make a lot of sense to me. The ones that make me kind of laugh are the, the questions that come after a baby is born. Me and my wife, we always have the same conversation. And maybe you've been on the receiving end of this, fellas. Um, anytime I tell my wife, hey, so-and-so had their baby, or I see something on Instagram, or hey, my friend from college, they, they had their baby. Um, and I go and tell her, at that moment, I've given her everything that I know, and I have nothing else to contribute to the conversation. And she always comes back with the same thing. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Well, like, how was the labor? What are the stats? I'm like, the the stats? Of what? You know, Sam, the the stats, the the weight, the height of the baby, and and how was the labor, and and, and what time was it, and and was it induced, or, you know, how how did it happen, were there any complications? And I'm like, babe, I have no idea. All I know is that a baby was born, and I'm 50% sure that it's a girl, you know? (laughs) That's all I got, you know? Every time. You and your friends never talk about anything. Yeah, we do, right? But... And I get it, right? Like, and you've seen birth announcements, you've gotten birth announcements, you've sent birth announcements, maybe you get the physical copy in the mail, Instagram, email. I get it, right? Like, there's not a lot to announce about the birth of a kid other than how much they weigh and how, you know, how tall they are and what time they were born and some of those stats. I mean, because there's nothing to know about a kid. You don't know anything about them yet. You can't even give the last four digits their social security number because you don't get that for a month after they're born anyway, right? Like, There's not much to know about a kid when they're born. And so you just announce what you do know because there's so much that you don't know. Because you have no idea. You have no idea what this kid is going to become and what they're going to do and who they're going to be and what their character is going to be like and what they're going to accomplish and and, and what they're going to do in the world. You just have no idea. We have no idea. And that's true for every child that's ever been born and will be true for every child that will ever be born. Except for one. The birth of Jesus was different. That those that were there in the first century when Jesus was born, they knew there was something different about this child. They knew that this was no ordinary birth. This was no ordinary kid. This was no ordinary night in Bethlehem. No, no. They knew that this child who was born to be a king would be different. 
And as we close out this series, The Day After Christmas, I want to take a look at just how different this king and this child that was born actually was. Because how different he was matters for you and for me. How different of a king he is compared to any other king that has walked the face of this earth matters to you and to me. And the reason why it matters is because Andy has been asking, I think, a really big and challenging question during the first two weeks of the series. And the question has been this, is Jesus, is he my king? It's a question you've been asking. Hey, this child, not just every average child, Jesus wasn't born just to be a rabbi or a teacher. He was born to be a king who is to be followed. And so the question, is he my king? And this is a huge question. Whether you're a faith person or not, whether you have a lot of faith or you've been walking in a church since the day that you were in the belly or you've never been to church before in your life and you don't have any faith, it's still a big question because this is a question about surrender. This is a question about, am I going to live my life building up my own kingdom or building up his? Am I going to lay my life down or am I going to live the way that I want to live regardless of the consequences? Is he my king? Massive question. Some of y'all don't even like to give up control to the remote. (laughs) I don't like to give up control of the driver's seat. I always want to drive because I don't trust anybody except myself. Is he my king? Big question. Got an amen. Let's go. Big question. (laughs) And some of y'all, though, rightfully so, might have a question as a follow-up. Why should he be? Am I allowed to ask that? Yeah, why, why, why should he be? Why should he be? Like, is he worth following? Is he worth surrendering everything to? And come on, even if you're a Jesus following the room, aren't we so good at pretending like we've surrendered everything to Jesus, but really we're just holding on to a couple things here and there? I mean, why should he be my king? Is it worth it? And this morning, as we look at the birth of Jesus in that moment um, uh, in uh, In Bethlehem, in Luke chapter 2, as we look at that moment through the eyes of those that experience it, I believe that we will come to the conclusion that, yes, it is worth it. So I want to jump in here in just a second in Luke chapter 2, and and we've already set this up, the stage. I want to look at the shepherds. Um, Luke chapter 2, we already talked about with Andy, where Caesar Augustus, the current ruler of all the known world, has issued that a census be taken. He wants to get all of his tax stuff in order, and in order to register for the census, you go back to your hometown, and so that requires Mary and Joseph to go back to Bethlehem, and Mary, super pregnant, long donkey ride to Bethlehem, um, would not have wanted to be Joseph in that situation, (laughs) or Mary, Um, and so... (laughs) And so uh, they, 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 they get to Bethlehem and you know the story, um, they, they, there's no room at the inn and so uh, the innkeeper kind of shows them the stable and there in a stable with barn animals, Jesus, this king is born, placed in a manger. And then we have in Luke chapter two, verse eight, the first announcement of his birth. So he's born and here we have the first birth announcement to the shepherds, Luke chapter two, Luke documents this for us starting in verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. I will bring you good news. I'm bringing you good news that will be the result, that will result in great joy. It will cause great joy for all people. What is that good news that will cause great joy for all people? The angel goes on, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. 
He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So here we have a savior. He's going to be born. And, and, we, and we've said this, that Jesus did not come just to be a forgiver of our sins, a cleanser of our consciences. No, no, here is actually the only place in all the New Testament where we have Savior, Messiah, and Lord all in one line describing who Jesus came to be. Yes, a Savior, but a Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the deliverer, the king, the Lord, the Lord that would call you and me to surrender our wills, to take up his. And don't miss this. And, and, and maybe you grew up in church and you've heard this story so many times. I, I didn't, but I heard it enough to kind of skip over this. This first announcement of this king, of this deliverer, this Lord, the first announcement goes to the shepherds. Not the most glamorous of professions in the first century. I would imagine not the most glamorous of professions today. They were not royals. They were not elite. They were not worthy to be, the pres- be in the presence of a king, let alone be invited into the presence of a king. These shepherds, they represent the lowly, humble, everyday group of people, you and me, that Jesus came for. So within just a few hours of the birth of Jesus, we already get a glimpse of how different this king was. He did not come down and was born in a palace. He was born, placed in a manger that was a feeding trough for animals. And then the royal announcement of the birth of this king goes to shepherds. This king was different. His character would be different. His heart was different. In fact, the humility with which Jesus entered the world foreshadowed his heart for the world. So the shepherds, they went and they worshiped. They spread the word concerning this king. They people told people that, and the people were amazed at what they had heard. They couldn't believe what the shepherds were telling them. But here's a question that I have. Why? Why did the shepherds respond the way that they did? Like, what did they know about this child? Like, what did the word Messiah mean to them. Okay, angel of the Lord came and said, hey, the savior of the world is born. Guess what? It was not um, rare for a king to call himself the savior of the world. In fact, Caesar Augustus, the current ruler of the world in Luke chapter two, do you know what he called himself? The savior of the world. What made Jesus different? Like what in the world, what context, what context did the shepherds have for this child? What about this child elicited such a response from the shepherds and do all those that the shepherd talked to? Well, this would not have been the first time that the shepherds or any of the Jewish people that heard about the birth of this king that night or in the days after. This is not the first time they would have heard about this child that would be born to rule, to reign, and to deliver his people. In fact, when the, when the shepherds when the shepherds heard the angels say today, this is how they would have interpreted it. They would have interpreted it as the time has finally come. The shepherds, when they heard from the angels today in the town of David, a savior has been born, they would have heard, hey, the time has finally come. The time has finally come in the town of David. A savior has been born to you. This is not the first time they would have heard about the birth of this child. 
No, in fact, 700 years prior to this moment that Luke documents for us in Luke chapter 2, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about this birth. That Israel found itself in a struggle with the current world superpower known as Assyria, and they were being oppressed by Assyria. And so through his prophet Isaiah, God sends Israel a message of hope. He tells them about a child that will be born, a deliverer that will come who will rule and who will reign. 700 years before that moment in Luke chapter two, the prophet Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. And tell me if these words don't sound familiar. For to us, a child is born. It's like that moment in Luke chapter two with a 700 year old echo that started right here with Isaiah speaking to Israel. For to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. This was no ordinary birth. Jesus did not come just to be a rabbi or a teacher. No, 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 no. They don't get involved in ruling and reigning. He was born to be a king. And Isaiah goes on to tell us about this king. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, Isaiah never intended for Jesus to ever be called any of these names. You're not gonna find it in the gospels. What was Isaiah doing? He was revealing to us the character of this king. He was revealing to you and to me and to Israel at the time when these words were spoken, just how different this king would be. He was telling about his character, what he would do and what he would accomplish. We knew more about Jesus before he was born than any other child that was ever born. Isaiah says that he will be called wonderful counselor, that this child born to be a king would grow to be a teacher whose wisdom and teaching would transcend all types of human understanding and teaching, that the way that his kingdom worked would seem opposite from the way that the rest of the world worked. He would teach things like this in the gospel. He would teach things that, like, you can't claim to love God and fail to love your neighbor. In fact, if you fail to love your neighbor, you can't really love God. You've heard this. He, he taught things that belief is only a part of the equation, that you can't just say you believe something. Belief is only a part of it. You've got to participate in. You've actually got to put your life into it. He taught things like there is strength and weakness because when we are weak, then it leaves space for God to be our strength. That this wonderful counselor would come to teach you and me that there is nothing in this world, and maybe this is just for me, but I doubt it. I think it's for some people in the room, that there is nothing in this world that can satisfy you fully, that there's no amount of money, that there's no amount of possessions, there's no position, there's no amount of success, there's no amount of influence that will make you feel finally fulfilled and like you've made it. It'll always leave you wanting. But Jesus said there's one way that can lead to fullness, and it's through me. That this wonderful counselor would even teach things as crazy as this, that there is actually life in death. To paraphrase the words of Jesus, that when you lay your life down for the sake of the gospel, you actually find your life. That he invites us to lose our lives, to lay our lives down with a purpose. That this wonderful counselor came. He would come to teach you and me and to grow us and to stretch us and to challenge us and to prepare us and to lead us and guide us and to show us the way of life. That he would be concerned with the lives of his people. That Jesus in John chapter 14 later in his ministry would say this. 
I am the way. How fitting, this wonderful counselor. I am the way. I am the embodiment of the way. I am the truth. I am the embodiment of all truth. And I am the life. You can find full life in me and through me by following me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wonderful counselor, Isaiah said. This king would be different. Isaiah goes on and he says, this child would be called mighty God. Though meek and mild, sweet little baby Jesus, and, and, and it's really sweet and you've got all the toys and in the manger scene, meek and mild, but at the same time, mighty and majestic. That in a way we'll never fully understand, he took on flesh and he became human and he took the form of a child, the form of a baby, took the form of human flesh, grew to be a human like all of us, yet he did not lose any of his godness. And it wasn't like a weird transformer switch. Jesus flipped on his human switch and then transformer, I became God. In a way we'll never fully understand, all the time in the 33 years of his life, he was both fully God and fully man all at the same time. And this mighty God, born to be a king, says that in the midst of whatever you're facing, in the midst of whatever you're walking through, in the midst of whatever fear, in the midst of any circumstance that is going on on the outside of you that is causing turmoil on the inside of you, this mighty God promised, to be with you. Y'all remember a scene in The Lion King when uh, Simba and Nala disobey Mufasa and they go to the elephant graveyard? Yeah, stupid. <laughs> and, and Mufasa's like, you stay in the pride lands. I'm not gonna try to do the voice. And, but they go anyway. Simba's always trying to show off to Nala because he liked her. They make it, they get together at the end. Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert. <clears throat> so they go to Elephant Graveyard and they're running around and the hyenas show up. And they're like, uh-oh. So they start running from the hyenas and the hyenas finally corner them and, and, and Nala's behind Simba and Simba's trying to be all like big and bad for Nala. He's like, a little cub. And he rears up to roar and he just goes, Row. <laughs> Remember this? And the hyenas start laughing gears up to do it again. And it's just this massive roar. The hyenas are like, huh? Simba's like, what? And we're like, huh? <laughs> and then Mufasa jumps on screen. Mental picture I have when I read this verse, because there is a mighty God that is behind you. There is a mighty God that is with you that promises to walk with you, not promises to make all your circumstances the way that you want them to go, but to say in the midst of whatever you're facing, I will be the anchor of hope to get you through, that he's promised to be with us until the very end of the age. This king would be different. Isaiah goes on and he calls him everlasting father. And I love, I love the order of this. It's as if it's on purpose. I love that this comes right after mighty God. So you've got mighty God, big and powerful, big and God and strengthens and he's with us. And then you've got personal and relational. Never lost any of his godness up in the skybox of the universe in the heavens, yet he cares for you. That this king, this Jesus sees you. He cares for you. 
He loves you. He likes spending time with you. That he did not come to offer up some kind of form of religion that was just strictly transactional of do's and don'ts. He came to offer us something far better. He came to offer a relationship. And no matter what we do or how far we've run, that love never runs out. This king would be different. And then he closes the list, calls him the prince of peace. And it's fitting that this is the very end of the list because this is the climax of all of the names. Because Jesus would come, this king would come so that we might have peace with our heavenly father and live at peace with others. That Jesus came on a mission to reconcile us to God. That there was this thing, and maybe you know this, maybe you're unaware of this, but there was this thing called sin that Paul said made us enemies of God. It got in the way. It made us incompatible with God. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. But Jesus came to die for your sins and for mine, to reconcile us, to make us compatible with our heavenly father so that we could live in relationship, unhindered relationship with him. So we'd no longer be enemies of God, but live and walk in confidence as sons and daughters of God. Jesus came to do that work that only the Prince of Peace could do. That this king, watch this, was born to die for your sins and for mine. And then he gave our faith an immovable foundation when he rose from the grave. And in the resurrection, he defeated the power of sin and death, so that whoever would put their faith in his work would experience relationship with their heavenly father forever, no longer defined by sin or held down by death. This Prince of Peace offers us forgiveness and grace. So come on, if you've ever felt like God was mad at you because of the work of the Prince of Peace, you need to know He's not. And and maybe this is just me. But if you've ever felt like, I can't go back and pray because God, because I did it again. His grace has run out. Too ashamed to pray to God because he's gonna look at me and think, man, how many times do I have to tell you? If you think that's you because of the Prince of Peace, it's not. If you think you've messed up too much, the sin is too bad or the story is too broken, can I just tell you, because of the Prince of Peace, it's not. If you've ever felt like it's too late to come back, can I tell you, because of the Prince of Peace, it never is. But it didn't just stop there. This Prince of Peace, like no other king, came to model what peace would look like with others. In fact, he said, man, you can't live at peace with God and be at odds with others. You can't say to love God and fail to love others. That the vertical would be defined by the horizontal. Telling you, this king would be different. A wonderful counselor who guides his people. A mighty God who strengthens his people. An everlasting father who loves his people. And a prince of peace who saves his people. So now we go back to that moment 
in Luke chapter 2. And we're able to look at this moment with some high definition. Because we're hearing and seeing and thinking in some ways what they saw and thought. And even if they didn't have this exact verse in their minds, they certainly would have known that the one that was to be born was different today. As Luke wrote for us. Today in the town of David, a savior. The time has finally come in the town of David. The wonderful counselor the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the long awaited one is finally here, born to you. Came down and born to you, you shepherds, for you, shepherds. And Christmas commemorates the miraculous reality that the king of kings has made himself available, approachable, and accessible. The king of kings, the king like no other king, he made himself in that moment when he was born into the world just like a human, like any other human, but proved to be unlike any other king. He made himself available, doors open, accessible, came down, approachable. The prince of peace always responds with grace. The king of kings has made himself available accessible and approachable to you. To you. To you. To you. To you. To you. To me. To your kids. To your mom. To your dad to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to those that are far from God, to the outsider that still hasn't found their way in, to the sinner, to the marginalized, to those of you that think the story is too far gone. He's made himself available, accessible and approachable to you. And so we come back to the poetic writings of the Apostle John, chapter one. We looked at it in week one of this series. Where he poetically writes about how Jesus entered into this world and he said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came down to you and to me and he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Here's what he's saying. Hey, look, I've seen it. As an eyewitness, like I literally, I ate with him. I followed him. I walked with him. Like I've seen it. I've seen his glory. I saw the glory and the splendor that he lived his life with. I saw the miracles. I saw the things that he said. I heard his teaching. I saw his death. And then I saw him alive again. I'm just telling you, John would say to you and to me, this king was different. I mean, come on. kind of king would leave his throne? What kind of king would join his people in their mess? <laughs> or what kind of king would subject himself to his people's limitations? What kind of king would willingly give up his life for his people? Or, step further, what kind of king would give up his life for the people that killed him. 
(laughs) A different kind of king. A king that came to live on mission with his love for the world and obedience to the Father at the center of all that he did. In fact, if you're taking notes, I think this is worth writing down. Jesus, who was more of a king than any other king, came to interact with his people like no other king. Because this king, and this king was different. A king that would be worth surrendering to. A king that would be worth following. A king whose kingdom would be worth building, even it be at the expense of my own and your own. And this king, John goes on to write, out of his fullness, we have all received grace. In place of grace already given, for the law was given through Moses. That was cool. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Remember, Christ, not a last name. Yeah, I got some of y'all with that one, didn't I? You're like, it's a title. Grace and truth came through Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the chosen one. Jesus, the deliverer. Grace And truth came through to you and to me through Jesus, the King. Grace offered to forgive you, to redeem you, to restore you, and to rewrite your story that you think is far too gone. Grace offered to you. Truth offered to you and to me, even though it is difficult. Because oftentimes that truth is contrary to what we would want for our own lives, but it is truth that will ultimately set you free and on the path to life, on the path to fulfillment, on the path to purpose. Truth that will be an anchor for your soul, no matter what you're facing. He came to offer you truth that you've got to understand this. Yes, Jesus calls us to surrender. And this is a whole other sermon for a whole other day, but he's not trying to rip you off. He's trying to set you free. Grace and truth offered to you. But not because of you or me, in spite of you or me, because this king was different. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The king has been born to you to your family and to this world full of grace and truth that he freely offers you. And he's made himself available, accessible, and approachable. So suddenly, the shepherd's response makes a little more sense. A little bit more sense. And King Herod's response that we talked about past couple of weeks, how he decided to control the situation and he tried to kill this child king and he tried to manipulate it because he didn't want to lose his authority. Suddenly, that makes a little bit more sense too. What this king did and the movement that he launched, it doesn't really quite make much sense because according to kind of human logic, it doesn't make any sense at all. He beat all the odds. Think about this for a second. A king who was born the way that he was born? 
A king who dwelt with his people, served his people, and sacrificed his life for his people? A king killed at the hands of his people? That's not supposed to work. But this king was different. This king didn't stay dead. This king established a kingdom that would never end. And this king, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father and a prince of peace, this king invites you and he invites me to follow. He invites you and he invites me to build up his kingdom that will never No matter where you are on the faith spectrum this morning, just like those in the first century that responded, a response is almost required. So what will your response be? To the king that has made himself available, accessible, and approachable. To the king that extends grace to you, that wants to save you and forgive you again and again and again but also to the king that gives us truth, hard truth, but real truth, that will set us on the path to life, that will set us on the path to fulfillment, that will set us on the path to a lot more great memories and healthy relationships and a lot less regret. What will our response be to the king that says, listen, Samer, your story isn't the major headline of this world and your story isn't the most important story. No, 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 I wanna show you how your story fits into my story that I'm writing for the world. What will response be to the king that has invited you in and close? The invitation is there. And even if God has never been on your radar, you need to know that you have always been on his. And no matter where you are, it's not too late to accept the invitation, to accept the challenge, to surrender, maybe even the areas of your life that you've never surrendered before, and to follow the king that was born unto you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his grace, the truth that he sets before us and the invitation to follow. Father, would you give us eyes to see Jesus for who he really is? Would you give us eyes to see that this king is different, that this invitation is life-giving? And after you, we see it, would you give us the courage to do something about it? The courage to take a step the courage to say yes, the courage to surrender our lives or an area of our lives that we've held on to for far too long. This Christmas season, would you give us the courage to respond to the king that has made himself available, accessible, and approachable? We thank you for it. We glorify your name because of it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.